So, we now turn into our reading, and we've been reading all the way through um, the epistle, the first letter that uh, Peter wrote to the Christians in Asia Minor. And they were going through a very, very difficult time. They were being persecuted for their faith, and they were suffering. And a bit like the coronavirus and the suffering that people have been um, experiencing, and there's a lot of lessons we can carry from 2,000 years ago into our modern world, into our Christian lives at, uh, at this time. And so Fiona's now going to read to us that passage we're going to look at. It's uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. So this is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 to 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Fiona. So now we're going to turn, turn to Terry, and Terry's going to bring to us the word this morning from that passage. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, if we look at that passage that is so relevant to our present day and our present society, we ask you, Father, to speak into our hearts. May your word not return to you void. Give Terry wisdom, discernment, and speak through his words, and help us to have minds that can receive your word, that can listen and soak in and take in what you're trying to say to us on this day. Speak to us, Father, each one. Bless us now by your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Terry, it's over to you. Hello. It's good to see you. Uh, today and welcome as we think about 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 1 to 11 and uh, we're thinking about living differently and loving extravagantly. I want to begin with this story, uh, a vicar who was having a renewal of vows service for those who in his parish church for over 40 years had joined in uh, wedding services uh, which he had led. And after the service, uh, there was a social get-together, and one couple came up to the vicar and said, Oh, vicar, thank you for inviting us today. We've so enjoyed ourselves. We want to tell you, you said something to us on our wedding day 20 years ago, which we have never forgotten. The vicar looked suitably impressed and pleased that he had made an impression. And the lady continued, You said something 
you will not remember a single word I say to you today. And you know what? You're absolutely right. Well, I hope you're going to remember something of God's word in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 1 to 11. And really the context of this chapter is how do we live as Christians in a dangerous world? Not simply to cope with suffering, but actually how do we live adventurously, positively for Christ? So this chapter 4 is addressing this key question. How are we to live for God in a dangerous world? And first century believers were constantly asking this question. In the 21st century, there will be different parts of the world, like West Africa, Southeast Asia, and East Asia, uh, where actually they are asking the question, and certainly in the Middle East as well, about how do we live faithfully as Christians and survive. First century Christians in the Roman Empire were facing immense persecution by the empire, the genocide type that seeks to wipe out a complete uh, faith group. And so Peter begins this whole passage with uh, a telling verse, verse one, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, he is reminding us that our faith is not an ethereal clouds of faith, a notional faith. We have a savior who became a human being. God became a human being. Today there's immense grief and sadness across the world because of COVID-19. And Peter brings to our focus the suffering of Jesus. And there is comfort even for us. There is a whole wave of uh, complicated grief across the world and certainly across this nation where people have not been able to be near or close to their loved ones at their hour of end and feeling cheated of a shortened life. And so Peter's saying that, that since Christ suffered in his body is saying something actually very important for us. Christ's death was real. It was no movie where he had fake blood and faked his death. It was real. Our attitudes shape our outlook. And are you set for the will of God for your life? Am I set for God's will for my life? And sometimes we look at our neighbor, we look perhaps at the person on the other side of the pew to us, and we wonder about our neighbor, our colleague or relative, and how life's lot has fallen for them and perhaps sometimes we feel that their lot has been far better than our lot and there's a wonderful passage where in fact Peter is talking to Jesus in John 21 verse 21 uh, after the resurrection and he's saying to Jesus Peter is what about John what about the apostle John what will happen to him and Jesus says something that's really important for us and it's not about being um, narrow-minded or selfish or unconsiderate towards others. He says that it's not for us to know how he will deal with our neighbor, our colleague, our fellow Christian brother or sister. Our task is to trust him and to trust him deeply. Verse 2 goes on to talk about um, as you, as a result, 
He does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil desires, but rather for the will of God. Sometimes as Christians, we can confuse the will of God with the guidance of God. Have you met believers who are always trying to find out the will of God in every detail of their lives? What clothes shall I wear today? Uh, what shall I have for breakfast or dinner? God, please guide me. Uh, how I should spend my time. And uh, St. Augustine, the great early church father, said guidance is simply loving God and doing what you want. Now, it's not quite as radical or shocking as you think, because loving God is no small matter. It is all absorbing. It's joyous. It's if we truly love God, it's not an addendum to our life like um, a sporting club would be. It's the very center of our lives. It's the very driver of who we are. And the Bible forces us to maturity. And so we shouldn't really be praying to seeking God's will for the specifics of what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear. And what we learn in the Bible is that God gives us his general will in scriptures um, and so there's certain things about our way of life so if we're struggling with uh, the sin of gossip there's no need to pray about well lord should i gossip or not god doesn't like it stop it and we need to pray into that that we might cease the desire for it if that's something we struggle with and christians live for god in a secular and spiritual hothouse of the 21st century and often we're perhaps perceived as stayed out of touch old-fashioned and um i don't think that's often fair i think christians are at the forefront if you think about what our own open door has done during the pandemic over two and a half thousand lunches have been served uh, as we think about how christians have really been at the forefront of uh, the struggle against this uh, pandemic one of the other pieces of scripture in chapter four uh, that peter talks about is idols we shouldn't have idols and any an idol is anything we put in the place of god and uh, julian hardiman who's a minister of uh, eden baptist church in cambridge in his book of idols talks about two types there are surface idols and then there are deep idols. So let's have some fun with this and think about um, some idols that we see across our society. And um, I certainly am aware of people in society that I work with and, and play sport with where kind of like the car you drive is very important. And so that's the surface idol it can be. Um, the, the, the vehicle we're driving. The deeper idol is, oh, it's all about my reputation, how I'm perceived and what I'm seen to be driving. Or a surface idol could be, I want to get a first class honours degree. That's a surface idol, can be, not necessarily. Um, but the deeper driver of that idol is all about success and reputation that drives us. 
or this could be very true for most of us during lockdown we've got very neat gardens at the moment that could be a surface idol that we're perceived by our neighbors and others that we're all very orderly the deeper idol of that is about control controlling the perception of how our garden looks how we dress and the perception that people have of us and that's true of clothes clothes can be a surface idol i mean we need clothes otherwise if i didn't wear clothes i'd probably shock you on this um the deeper idol is impressing others and again i've got sporting friends and it's all about brand and because i'm not mr brand they ridicule me um but i'm not i'm not fussed um as long as it's respectable comfortable and appropriate i'm not fussed about the brand um but some of my friends it's everything to them uh when we're hitting golf balls that they'll have a certain brand on their shirt and on their trousers on their shoes and on their hat or on their sunglasses some of us have a surface idol and you've broken it completely unfortunately of a hundred percent church attendance record and uh, well you've blown it haven't you um but the deeper idol of that is religious perfectionism it's where we're seeking the driver is of course going to church is is a good thing it's an obedient thing but it's where being seen to do that is more important than meeting the one in the the company of god's people god himself so the religious perfectionism is the driver about pleasing others going on an exotic summer holiday off to mauritius if you're lucky um, the deeper driver is pleasure uh, having well-behaved children oh please um that the surface idol that could be um but the deeper idol that's the driver underneath that that julian hardeman talks about is parenting success being seen to be orderly and in control of your children about your reputation um having a new kitchen could be a surface idol uh, the deeper driver under that could be um, our reputation or it could be uh, the comfort that we're looking for it and i just mention these because we live in a society which is full of idols um this device here this phone is is an idol our computers um and there can be very subtle idols even in in our churches but it's worth doing some analysis and, and thinking about that but what we do know and it says in scripture here that everyone will be accountable to jesus everyone will bow the knee to king jesus whether you like it or not now we are those who choose to bow the knee to king jesus but at the end of time everyone will bow the knee and so peter kind of gives us a wake-up call um, in verse 7 he then moves on and says to the christians the end of all things is near and you kind of have this man walking around with a banner the end of the world is nigh but christians in rome they were being beaten they were being killed and uh, where was the hope and they were anticipating the second coming of christ he may return in our generation he may return in the 21st century generation and are we ready are we faithful 
Are there things that we are ashamed of that we want to hide from him? And so the end of all things is near really gives us clarity of sight, a 2020 vision to pray for this to be true. And, and Peter is talking about being clear-minded um, as a forerunner. Actually, this clear-minded, this Greek word, is a forerunner of a psych psychological psychiatrist word, same, that someone is of a sound mind. And what Peter is saying, we need to be clear-minded, we need to be of sound mind so that we're not disturbed by strange ideas. And there are lots of weird and wacky ideas that we face as believers. And he goes on to say that we need to exercise self-control so that you can pray. And this is really important actually when you think about it, because do you want others to control you? Of course not, you want to control yourself. Because if you give control to others, you may end up letting others do what you don't want them to do. And they can then influence you to drink, to drugs, to idols, to control you. And so Peter calls us to control ourselves. And we come on in verse eight, above all, I love this, above all, love each other extravagantly. In this, Peter does not mean that sins are swept under the carpet because love actually sees the sin but still loves the person. Those of us in families, we know one another very well. We know one another's foibles, idiosyncrasies, habits that are silly or fun. And this is true even in our church. Our church is not simply a social club. We have a deep spiritual dimension and purpose to us. Above all, love one another extravagantly. You know, the evil one likes nothing better than causing disruption in church, setting people against each other. You see, when the church is in unity and love, it's the most powerful organization on the planet. And so the devil tries to put a wedge between people, between us. And Peter is realistic here and knows that the church then and the church now, we need God's love to be the glue between us. Each church will have different musical tastes with different backgrounds and different expressions. And it's Christian love, the love of Jesus in us that pervades us, that gives grace towards one another. It's Christian love that covers over personality defects, failures and wrongs. And friends, I think during this season of the pandemic, we're all a bit fed up because we're not meeting, we're not being church as normal. And there are great benefits to what COVID has brought to us in terms of the impact of the church. So for example, 25% of the nation 
of the United Kingdom has gone online at least once uh, a month to watch a church service. 25%, the average church going is less than six. Friends, the age range of 18 to 35 year olds who've gone online to church services has gone through to uh, nearly 40%. There are really positive outcomes from this, but also there are heavy outcomes. I really miss uh, seeing you and talking with you, worshiping with you, uh, being alongside you. We need above all to love extravagantly in our frustrations um, as we continue to work out what it means to be church through this pandemic. Peter then goes on to say, very challengingly, verse 9, offer hospitality. So later on today, we have a scavenger hunt at 3.30 um, um, in the church car park where uh, we're going out and then we're going to regather um, at tables where we'll be served according to the guidelines in disposable cups, two metres apart, and have some distanced fellowship for those who are able to stay. But we need to offer hospitality, maybe invite some folks around to your garden within the limits. The limits are 30, by the way. Um, but, but Peter then goes on to talk about offering your gifts. Each one should use whatever gift he or she has received to serve others. And this is really important of not expecting others to serve the way you serve, because Frankly, if I offered you hospitality and service in my kitchen, you might sue me for food poisoning. So I'm, I need to recognize my strengths and weaknesses. And we need to know that we're all different shapes. And we know that in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul, the apostle, talked about the church as the body. And it's a bit like the mouth saying to the hand, um, you know, I don't need you. I can hold things in my mouth, but the mouth cannot hand and grip things in quite the power that the mouth can. So we need different um, parts of the body. Um, and it's all about focusing on God. The task of church is not to keep each other happy, believe it or not, but to seek God first in all things. How we serve and how we give to God, that the vertical relationship impacts the horizontal. It's not the other way around. And how we love, the lovely Greek language of philia love, brotherly, sisterly love. But then Paul talks about agape love. And he describes Jesus as agape, of unmerited love. And, and we need to pray into this about loving one another. Finally, I want to talk about verse 11, because it talks about the glory of God, that um, everything is to be done to the praise of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the glory of God. Glory is a funny thing. Um, it, it's something that we, um, so Liverpool fans, and, and I know Mike um, uh, Hesselgrave is one of those, congratulations Mike, um, that they've won the Ch uh, Premier League, and um, glory is a fading thing, and it's a good thing, there's nothing wrong with competition, 
But here, Peter's talking about glory um, as fame. Um, Christians, believe it or not, and you're going to might be surprised or challenge me on this, but Christians are called to be famous in making um, glory to God. And um, God will look upon his people. And you know that lovely verse in the Gospels where um, it said, well done, good and faithful servant. There's either glory like that, well done, good and faithful servant, or there's shame. Depart from me, you whitewash walls, you evildoers. You are not welcome in the kingdom of heaven. And so there's glory and shame that we can bring to God. And all of us, as we have to bow the knee, all of us will, in the end, have to face up to God Almighty. And it will be a delight or a terror of the universe either with the expression of God conferring glory through Jesus Christ upon us or inflicting shame that can never be cured or disguised. And so friends, we're here to please God. And the real ingredient in divine happiness is to be loved by God, um, but to be delighted as an artist delights in his work. And so God delights in us as he sees us in our creativity through life here on earth. Or as a father and a son, all of this, it seems impossible. It's a weight, as C.S. Lewis talked, a weight or burden of glory, which our thoughts can't sustain, that God shares his glory in Christ Jesus with us. But it is so. And then there's luminosity, that we're to shine like stars in the universe, glorious brightness as splendor. And this is the second meaning um, of glory. The Bible says we're to shine as the sun in Matthew 13, 43, or to receive the morning star, which is Jesus in our hearts, Revelation 2:28. And ultimately, at the end of time, at the end of our lives, when we meet with God in Christ, when we trust Christ, we will be united with beauty. We will pass into that beauty of glory. We will receive and be transformed by that beauty of glory, be bathed in it, become part of it, and be renewed in it. Someday we will put on that glory of creation, that greater glory of which nature is only the first sketch of God. Friends, um, our task is to allow God to transform us and to bring our lives to him be glory and power forever and ever, says Peter. And Peter, as you know, was crucified and he asked to be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to be crucified like his Lord. I want to finish with this true story. Um, for those who are cricketers among us, uh, like Chris Chapman or Ian Smith, you'll know this story inside out. But it always makes me laugh. I don't know if you've seen the 
um, ashes test between England and Australia, and they present this tiny little ashes urn. Um, uh, this isn't the ashes urn, but this was given to me on my 40th birthday by my father. You know, it's a little token with a clock, it's got some golf clubs and the balls, and the urn isn't even as nice as that in terms, in my opinion, um, but there's a story behind it. You know, when you win like the kind of Premier League, it's a huge trophy and you're holding it. Um, this thing is about like an egg cup, um, but there's a story behind it in the sort of Imperial British Empire. There was some friends who um, actually, it was the women who produced and invented the ashes urn. And there was a match that was played between Sir William Clark, uh, who was the first president of the Victorian Football Association and also president of the Melbourne Cricket Club. And a lady, Janet Snodgrass, who was from England, um, who had gone to be the governess of uh, the children of Sir William and his first wife, Mary. And um, sadly, Mary died and Janet became later on as Sir William's second wife. And she was renowned as the first professional woman. This is in the like, early, right at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, the early 1900s. Um, and there was uh, this big friendly match of visiting Englishmen and uh, Australians. And they, it was a bit of fun and they produced this urn. And that then later on took on significance. There was a star-studded uh, banquet held in Australia at, um, with people such as Stanley Melbourne Bruce, who was uh, the former governor. Uh, there was a 21-year-old Donald Bradnam who sat between Billy Bishop Britain's most successful fighter ace from World War One, and Mary Lindsay and Janet Lady Clark, this lady who made the urn, uh, her daughter. And so, uh, so taken with the urn, the Australians were, that they had a match that was the ashes. And this little urn lived in Marlborough Cricket Club. Um, and so it's extraordinary how this little, forgive me, egg cup um, has become such a prize in sporting endeavours in the cricket world. And it reminds me of us. We might not be an egg cup, but we might be something that feels, and we are in many ways, very insignificant in the world's economy, in the world's standing. But we are reminded in 2 Corinthians 4 that we are earthen vessels that are transformed by the glory of God. And Mother Teresa had this wonderful expression of uh, doing something beautiful for God and God doing something beautiful through us. So my friends, my challenge is to you, how will you this week do something beautiful for God? God bless you. Amen. Oh,